Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, hey, good morning, church. Glad you're here, and uh, glad that you're just cramming in here. Thank you for cramming into this space. Church, where you get to rub shoulders with somebody you never met before is a lot of fun. So um, thank you, Andy Morrison. First time Andy Morrison leading us in worship in that way. Thank you, brother. Good job. We love Andy. Colorado Springs, 42,000 college students. Did you know that? We're a college town, and we're just not catching up with that fact. But Andy, if you're a college kid, if you know a college kid, Andy wants to get into your life with, uh, with Jesus and just turn everything upside down. So uh, let him in to mess with you, and, uh, and you're going to see good things. Friends, I want to take just a minute to say something um, from a pastor's heart here, because this week... Um, we suffered another tragedy in our community, and it's that a, uh, a young man, age uh, 13, eighth grader, um, chose to take his own life this week. And, um, and this is a guy that uh, is in Thomas McLaren School, and so we've got a lot of, of kids and people that are in the Thomas McLaren School. Um, and so we wanted to be praying as a church, praying for that school, for the family, for our city, and, and all the kids of our city. Um, it also, this is, a, this is a guy that a lot of our, our kids uh, knew really well and um, friends with. Um, and so that just sort of, as a church, we just want to weep with those who are weeping, mourn with those who are mourning, and we want to be praying. And here's what I want to say. I want you to remember that this is where we come. This is where we come. When we're hurting, this is where we come. When we're needful, this is where we come. When we're confused, this is where we come. The name of the Lord is a righteous tower and those who run to it are safe in him. And the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So um, be praying for that. Hey, let's just pray real quick. Lord, uh, thank you that you love us so much. We pray for this family and what they're experiencing, which is unimaginable. But we know, Jesus, that you've You've been there, and we pray that you would move in to this home, that you would bring the the comfort, the supernatural comfort that only you can bring, and bless our church. Lord, help us. Help us to be light and life in places of hopelessness and darkness, and help us first to run to you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Church said, Amen. amen. We're in Humanize Me, second week of this series. We're looking at James chapter 2 today, starting at verse 14, so I encourage you to open your Bibles. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible or if you don't have one, we've got some in the back. The words will be up on the screen. James two fourteen. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 
You believe that there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's dead. We're grateful for God's word. Humanize me, those who hunger. Those who hunger. What are we to do with hunger? You and I... We were made to eat. Amen. Anywhere in the house? Amen. Amen. Getting hangry up here, like you were saying? Like, this poor kids. What's the greatest thing to eat in the world? I'm giving you none. You get none and you like it. Yeah. We're made to eat. We love to eat. Don't you love to eat? Don't you love to eat good stuff? Stuff that you, you know, beautiful meal, your favorite meal. Don't you love to Oh, I love to eat. And you love to eat too, and I know you do because I've seen the pictures. Here come the pictures. This is Wednesday night, you guys, church picnic, chowing down. This is why they say wherever two or three first presers gather, somewhere nearby a chicken dies. It's because when, <laughs> when we get together like this, something is going down. You know, maybe it's a cow that needs to be on the run, judging by some of these pictures. But uh, it's going down. We love to eat. We love to eat. You're made to eat. You eat, you grow hungry, and then you eat again. You eat, you get hungry, and then you eat again. Why is, why is that? Why is that? You know, the truth is, when we talk about hunger, I've never been hungry, not in that sense of like that hunger is something that needs to be addressed. I've never been hungry. Now, I have been a teenage boy, <laughs> So I believed I was hungry. And I remember rooting around. I remember holding the refrigerator door open and just staring at the back of it, you know? And just, you just you've seen guys do this, and, and they just disappear in there. Or rummaging around in the cupboards and, and looking for stuff and shh, and pushing stuff around and yelling at my mom, there's nothing to eat in the house, mom. I'm, anybody starving. I'm starving, but I wasn't, I wasn't actually starving. But I remember one day, you know, looking around in the cupboards, and I found something back there as I pushed around some, like, baking powder and stuff, and, and I saw chocolate. So I pulled it out. I was like, what? There's chocolate in the back of the cupboard? I ripped it open, broke off a chunk of it, threw it in my mouth. <laughs> you know what it was? It was baking chocolate. Which, if you don't know what baking chocolate is, it tastes somewhere between dirt and coffee grounds is where, <laughs> is where baking chocolate sits. And I can still taste it right now. But I've never been hungry, not in the sense that we're talking about today. Well, we're starting the series, Humanize Me. Why? Because Jesus is on a mission to make us human. And so if you invest in this series... You're going to learn that Jesus is a humanizing Savior and that to follow Jesus is to help other people to be more human too. 
That's what this series is about. Jesus became human so we could become children of God. God became, became one of us so that we could be restored to what it means to be human. But if we need to be humanized, that means there must be dehumanizing forces, toxins, something in the environment that pulls us away or, or pushes us away from being fully human as God intended us to be. So what are those things? Well, we're going to address all these different things that push us away from being human as God intended us to be. And we call them poverties. Poverties. So there's all kinds of different types of poverty. And in fact, all these pictures that you have all around the church, these are images of places where we know that somebody is addressing a form of poverty. And some of them are going to make you think when you look at them. Like, how is that poverty? Because we can think of the standard stuff. What, like poverty is a lack of money. Like we don't have money. Well, that's poverty. But there's other kinds of poverty too. Could wealth be a form of poverty? Could wealth be a force that pushes somebody away from being fully human? You bet. And there's other kinds of poverties out there. There's, there's poverty of relationships. There's poverty of hope. There's poverty of, of justice, where people are living in places where no authority is going to stand up and defend what's right. There's, there's poverty of, uh, of, of, of progress. There's all kinds of poverties. What about spiritual poverty? But today we're going to talk about one that you probably would have written down, you know, we probably would have thought of on our own if we were just making a list of what poverty is, and that's food poverty, hunger, starvation, malnutrition, when people simply don't have enough to eat. Because here's the thing, this exists, and and not only does it exist, it, it pushes people away, it holds people back from being fully who God intended them to be. And in some places, it even leads to malnutrition, it even leads to starvation, in some places it even leads to death. And I think that not only is food poverty dehumanizing to someone who's hungry, but I think that food poverty is dehumanizing to all of us. The fact that it even exists. Because you know what's sad to realize is that the, the globe, the world, the earth, it makes plenty of food. But there's people that are hungry. Why? It's because of inhumane practices. It's because of, of broken human relationships, corrupt governments. That's what makes food poverty happen. And that dehumanizes all of us. So what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? What does the church do about food poverty? Some years ago, I was in Kenya visiting a, a ministry that does some food distribution to um, the rural poor, just absolutely destitute people, gives out food to families monthly. The guy who runs it is a friend of mine named Humphrey Conga. So I asked Humphrey, said, Humphrey, okay, this is good. Tell me about the spiritual side of it. Tell me the spiritual aspect. Are we reaching these people with the gospel? And, and Humphrey, he said, Pastor Tim, of course we're reaching these, we're sharing the gospel with these people, but we're giving them the food first because they can't hear the gospel over the rumbling of their stomach. You can't hear the gospel on an empty stomach. See, food, food poverty is a kind of thing that hunger, it kind of dehumanizes us from the inside. We're, we're physically hungry and we start to feel our humanity sapped away from us as, as that, that presses down on our spirit, it presses down 
on our soul. Uh, I uh, uh, was thinking about the, the autobiography that Elie Wiesel wrote about the Holocaust called Night. Anybody ever read that? You had to read it in high school? It's powerful. So Elie Wiesel wrote this book about his experience when he was 13 years old and his family was taken by the Nazis into the Holocaust. But as you read that, if you ever read that, of all the stuff that he sees and experiences, of all the dehumanizing atrocities, the horrors, where when he writes along and he's remembering what that experience was like, his memory returns again and again and again, over and over. His memory comes back. You know where? It comes back right here. He remembers the hunger and what it felt like to go to bed empty, what it felt like to wake up aching and to feel his body wasting away and be given weak soup and, you know, moldy bread. He told a story about when um, they were being transported to Buchenwald in, a, uh, in a, a cattle car and these soldiers, just to be nasty, they threw pieces of bread into the cattle car and, and he watched as men that he knew from his community that he respected, looked up to. He watched as these men were overcome by their hunger and they went after each other like wild beasts. That's the dehumanization of food poverty, of hunger that saps humanity out of you. What is Jesus? If Jesus is a humanizing Savior and he wants his followers to be a humanizing people, what does Jesus want us to do about that? What does Jesus want us to feel about anywhere that someone is suffering from food poverty. Well, it makes us want to do something. We want to respond with some kind of an action. And that's exactly what James is talking about. So here we have this passage in this letter from James. James is Jesus' brother. Let me give you just a little context here. James, James is in Jerusalem. He's shepherding the, the community of faith that's still in the city of Jerusalem. And what's happening is the, the believers are starting to be persecuted. They're starting to lose their jobs. They're starting to lose their livelihood. The next meal isn't coming as easily as it used to do. And so James, he's writing a letter that's going to go out to all the believers, all these different churches. And he's saying, look, I need you to see something. I'm happy that you believe in Jesus, but it's got to translate into action. We're hungry. Okay, this is what James is saying. It's convicting, isn't it? Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Is dead. What's he saying? saying your faith has got to be accompanied by, by some action. If, if you just say to somebody, hey, go, have a, you know, be well, and you're not going to do anything about the situation that they're in, what good is it? James is saying, you better, you better bend over and check the pulse on that faith, you see. Okay. I can't tell you, you know, that verse is a convicting verse for me. Because I can't tell you how many times I walk by people who are down and out in, in needs and in different places, and you kind of wind up saying, Hey, be well, man. I'm praying for you. Right? Have you been there? 
Is it just me? I'm the worst guy in the room. <laughs> and you just say, like, be well, man. I'm praying for you. But you don't know what to do. You don't have something to do. What, this is the verse that rattles around the, in the back of my conscience. This is the verse that, that kind of rings out to me. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? See, what James is saying is, listen, folks, this is a passage about groceries, not philosophies. You got it? This is a passage about donuts, not doctrines. Okay? This is a passage about meals, not meetings. This is a passage, you're over-spiritualizing it. This is about groceries, not, I can't think of a G one. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Even with donuts, that's not so good. Donuts are not nutritious. Somebody said, don't say donuts, say dinner. Dinner, not doctor. Dinner, not doctor. Are you with me though? Are you getting this? Sometimes we over-spiritualize it. Like we make it, it's, I over-spiritualize things. And James is saying, look, if you want to follow Jesus, help hungry people eat. Don't over-spiritualize it so much. The gospel, listen now, the gospel makes material change in the world when we not only understand it and believe it, but we act on it. I'm going to say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes a material change in our world when we understand it, believe it, and what? Act on it. Act on it. That's what James is saying. If you want to follow Jesus, act on what you believe. Feed the hungry. You might be familiar with the variants of uh, the Gospels, how they, they say things slightly different. And maybe you've been exposed to the variation in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount between Matthew and Luke. In Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? But in Luke, it's recorded this way. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. That doesn't sound so spiritual. That sounds like this is about sandwiches, not speeches. Come on, I can't get there. I can't get there by myself. This is about, this is a real deal. Not spiritual. This spirit, making a sandwich can be a spiritual act. Okay, all right, let's go. Okay. So people say this is a big difference, right? Luke's Jesus and Matthew's Jesus. Matthew's Jesus is a spiritual Jesus. He only cares about spiritual things. He doesn't care about what's happening on the ground. Luke's Jesus, totally different guy. He cares about material stuff, not so much about the spiritual stuff. So you can plainly see, say the, says the academic world, that uh, Matthew's got a different Jesus than Luke. You've got two Jesuses, two Gospels, can't trust them, can't trust the Bible. You might as well walk out of here and go to the casino as well as waste time in the, in the church house on a Sunday morning. I'm editorializing a bit. But see, that's where the argument goes. It's fooey. It doesn't have to go there. Listen, for one thing, it might have been two sermons. The Bible kind of acts like they were. But you don't even have to go there to make sense of this. All you have to do is wrap your mind around the fact that for Jesus and his followers, the material impacts the spiritual. And the spiritual impacts the material. And so the two sayings are the same thing. The two teachings are saying exactly the same thing. Righteousness feeds. Belief changes things in the world. Faith 
makes a difference in the way you live. These things are not two worlds. These worlds collide when we act on what we believe. Listen to me now. The gospel makes a material change in this world when you understand it, believe it, and act on it. Act on it. Act on it. Now, that's what James is trying to tell us here, folks. That's what James is trying to say. That when the gospel is properly understood, it makes a material change in the world. Well, let's properly understand the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus, the gospel, is that you and I, we are saved by grace through faith, not by what we do. And the mistakes that we have made, they're paid for by Jesus on the cross, not by what we do to make up for them. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. We know that in the witness of Scripture. So what is this passage kind of tilting us toward? Well, to sum up this passage, what James is saying here is, we are saved by faith, not by works. And faith that saves is faith that works. So follow me now. It isn't, it isn't faith plus works equals salvation. Like I, I believe in Jesus, but that's not going to be good enough, so I've got to do some stuff to, to add to that, and then maybe I'll be saved. It isn't faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith equals salvation plus, come on, works. Because you want to do stuff to respond to the glory of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You want to enact what you believe. If you believe something, you'll act on it. And James is saying here that if you believe the gospel, you're going to act on the gospel and it's going to make a difference in the world. Now, I can't run through with you the examples of Abraham and Rahab here. This is rich. It's, um, it's exciting stuff. You'll learn from it. If you study it yourself, you talk, take it up in your life group or in student ministry, talk about these, these figures. But here's the point. Here's why they're here. Rahab and Abraham, they acted on what they believed. They didn't just sit there thinking. They acted on what they believed. They did what they believed. And their belief made a difference in the world. Their actions made their faith visible. And at the same time, that made their own faith more solid. See? So you don't just stand at the crossroads, friends, and say, this is the way to go. That's a bad way, and this is the way to go. Well, if this is the way to go, then you need to go that way. If that's the way to step, you need to stick out your own foot and lean forward. You hear me? You need to go that direction. You don't just stand on the shore and say, that's a good boat, that boat will float. No, you get into the boat. If the boat will float, get in the boat. Are you with me? So you don't just follow Jesus and say, hey, the way of Jesus is beautiful. Hey, you know, the pattern of the life of Jesus, his heart for people, that's beautiful, great. You don't just stand there and say the way of Jesus is the way of life and you don't walk in it. No, you walk in it. You walk in it. And when you go, when you act, when you, when you act on what you believe, you, you believe it more. Why? Because your faith is confirmed in the act. You see that it actually does, there actually is something there that I was thinking about and talking about. And when I moved out and stepped on it, it was firm. This is what James is saying. Let's see it. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, I say, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith 
by my deeds. What's he saying? He's saying you don't have one or the other, you have both. You have both. And belief works, faith acts. You know, these things that you believe, they make a difference in the world. Faith that saves is faith that acts. So he takes the case of Abraham. Follow on to verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. What does that mean? That, means, that doesn't mean that his faith was, was you know, not good enough and he had to prove himself. What it means is Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, but when Abraham acted on his faith, well, then there was a completeness in his own heart. He knew that what he believed was something that could be, that could be relied on. It's true because he acted on what he believed. And, and that made his faith visible to those around him. See, his faith prompted his actions. And the actions confirmed the faith. So if we don't just sit around and say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and Jesus is nice and Jesus cares about all the people in the world. He, calls, he cares about all the people that are hungering in the world. We don't just sit here and say that and believe that and not do anything about it. You say just like he says. You believe God is good. You believe God is one. Fantastic. At some point, at some point, the question comes down, what are you going to do about what you believe? If we take the Good Samaritan as our model from last week and we say, hey, we want to do something. Food poverty is hurting people. We want to do something. But we want to do something wise, right? We want to do something smart. We take the Good Samaritan as our model. One of the uh, now sadly infamous illustrations of charity doing more harm than good comes out of this exact arena, food poverty. Uh, you might remember in 2010 there was an earthquake in Haiti, totally devastated the island. Do you remember that? In response to that, the international community wanted to help. So they sent boatloads, boatloads of rice. Just rice, rice, rice. Well, what happened was this rice was being distributed for free and the local farmers who raise rice, who cultivate rice, they couldn't get anybody to buy it. Why? Because maybe, maybe we're friends, but <laughs> I'm not paying you for rice that's coming for free over here. So these farmers, they lost their farms. They lost their jobs. Haiti lost its means of producing rice, which prompted the government of Haiti to get on the international stage and say, Please stop sending rice. Please stop helping us <laughs> because you are wrecking our country. You see? When you create dependency, the dependency is as dehumanizing and as harmful as the food poverty itself. And do we ever do that? Do we ever do that? Our hearts, are, our hearts are just overflowing. We want to do the thing, do the thing. If we don't do it wisely, we might actually do more harm than good. But listen, we can be smarter than that. We can be wise. And if we want to enact our faith, and we do, and if we're going to make a difference in the world, and we will, we're going to do it together with wisdom. We're going to do it in smart ways that make an actual difference and bless these people 
in need. Well, in terms of our model that I said that was the Good Samaritan story, we partner with other agencies in this area. And each week you're going to start to see a pattern. I'm going to try to be elevating some of the stuff that your church does you might not know about. So in this case, the inn, the place that we partner with to help, is called uh, Marion House and it's run by Catholic Charities. And here's the deal with this. I don't want to be prideful here, but I am proud. And you know why? Because our church, First Pres, has been providing the Tuesday meal at Marion House for over 30 years. And, uh, and, and here's the deal. Don't tell anybody this, but Tuesday is the best day to go. <laughs> because when you go on Tuesday, you're not just served leftover food that got warmed over. That's not how First Pres rolls, people. Our, our First Pres team... Uh, they, they open the doors at 5 a.m. and they go down to industrial-sized refrigerators that we bought and keep there and we start pulling food out and they start pulling food out of the stores and they cook and prepare a fresh, mood for, food, a fresh meal from scratch that feeds usually between 500 and 700 people every Tuesday, every Tuesday. Here's a little greeting from uh, your team at the Marion House. One of the folks in our Sunday school class worked here, and he invited me down, and, and that was, gosh, I guess, 14 years ago, so I've been here ever since. They, they get a really good meal, and when they leave, they're full, and that makes you feel so good. I love it. I absolutely love it. They do so much for me, I think, more than I do for them. Yeah, they're wonderful. Now, here's the deal. The meal becomes an occasion for relationship. The relationship houses avenues for introducing new possibilities to people's lives. So right outside the dining room, they've got social worker, educator, they've got counselor, they've got people who can help people to stand up and on the basis of being fed a meal can find hope to move on. That makes me very proud. We want to move out in wise ways. Don't over-spiritualize it all the time. Sometimes it isn't, about the, the, it isn't about the spirituality, it's about the salad. <laughs> it ain't the doctrine, it's the donuts I'm talking about. Are you with me? It ain't the, okay. That's kind of, I'm just messing around. You people are getting hungry. <laughs> Don't over-spiritualize it, but hang with me now. Don't under-spiritualize it. Don't under-spiritualize it. What is God trying to teach us in the way we eat, in the way we share food, in the way we live? One day Jesus was teaching thousands and it was getting late and, and the disciples said, you've got to send them away because they don't have any food. They're going to go hungry all night long if you don't send them away right now. And what did Jesus say? He turned to his disciples, Matthew 14. He said, you don't send them away from me. You give them. You remember this? You give them what? Something to eat. You give them something to eat. Say, so, man, we don't got anything. Jesus said, well, what do you have? Two, we've got uh, two, uh, five loaves, two fish. He said, bring it here. And Jesus, he blessed it, he broke it, he distributed 5,000 men, countless numbers of women, unnumbered children, all ate till they were full that night. They ate till they were full. Their bellies were full. Jesus fed them. Jesus fed the hungry masses. Why? Why did Jesus feed the hungry masses? You want to take a guess? 
Because they were hungry, yeah. Don't overthink this thing. Jesus fed them because they were hungry. But he said to his disciples, and catch this now, he said, they don't have to go somewhere else. You bring them to me. God made us to eat. We eat, we grow hungry, and we eat again. We, we depend on food supply, on food production, on harvest. We depend on something outside of ourselves. We depend on other people. We always eat together. You know, usually we eat together. There's nothing so, uh, so universal of human experience than the culture of coming to table together. There's so many flavors and colors and, and so much cultural flair to the diversity of humanity when we just study how people come and eat together, right? We depend on one another. We depend on, on our food supply and we depend on one another. I depend on my wife, Abigail, and when, if she doesn't feed me, I'm lost. I'm lost. Whenever she, it's true. So we depend, we depend on, uh, on this food supply and harvest. We depend on one another and we depend on God. We depend on God. Why? Why did God make us in such a way that we can only eat and get hungry and eat again three times a day, four, whatever? It doesn't last long, does it? I'm hungry again. Why did God make me so dependy, you know? Why can't I just plug myself in at night and recharge? You know, like the decent devices in my life. Why can't I, uh, why can't I just feed myself once in the month and then just be on my way, you know, for the rest of the month? Don't worry about me. Why did God make me so dependent? He's trying to teach you something. So we have physical hunger, but we have spiritual hunger. And you don't just answer it all from within. You look out, you look up, you look to receive. Do you know where to go with your spiritual hunger to have it satisfied? Because the spiritual hungers, they'll dehumanize you, they'll rack you, they'll wreck your life. An alcoholic hungers for a next drink, an addict hungers for a next pill. You know, an abandoned inner child hungers for attention and, and enough love. Never full. These things, they can rack you if you don't know where to take your spiritual hunger. But what did Jesus say to the disciples? They don't need to go away. Bring them to me. As the praise band comes up, I want you to really settle in on this thought. Where does your hunger take you? Where do your appetites belong? Jesus. Jesus, he says, you don't need to send them off. You bring them to me. Why? Why? Because the hunger in our lives, it leads us to Jesus. Jesus is the bread of heaven. He's the bread of life. What are you hungry for? On the night which he was betrayed, Jesus... The day before he went to the cross, you remember what he did? He sat at table. He gathered the meal. And he took bread and he lifted it up in front of his disciples and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my, does anybody remember? This is my body. Broken for you. Feed on it. Another place in the Gospels, he was saying to the crowds, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, 
unless you come to me in such a way that you allow me into your life in such a manner that I, I come into you and I become part of you, unless you open yourself to me in all of your hunger and all of your dependence, unless you turn to me and open yourself up such that I can come in to you and eat with you and be your food such that you feed on my flesh, you drink my blood, that I am, I am, my life is your nourishment and my grace is your satisfaction and my love is the answer to your thirst until I come into your life in that way where I am what you feed on to be satisfied. He said, until that happens, you and I can have nothing to do with one another. And you leave here today in your hunger. But if you're here right now and the Lord has brought you to such a place where you're beginning to believe that all of your hunger leads you to Jesus, that all of your hunger leads you to Jesus, that all that you thirst leads you to the Lord. If you're here today and you're beginning to believe, this is the moment. Today is the day of salvation. This is the moment to reach out your hand and to take him by faith and feed on him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so dearly, so much that every hunger in our hearts matters to you and that you are the fulfillment of our deepest longing. We pray for those who are in physical hunger, who are getting pushed away from being the people that you made them to be. Help us to move toward them wisely. Help us to be smart in how we help so that our helping doesn't hurt, but it helps. We want to do that, Jesus. We want to do that in your name. We want to do that to your glory. But most of all, Lord, I want to just pray for any who are in the room right now who are wondering if you care about the hunger in their heart, if you care about the thirst to which they are enslaved, if, if they've got something that they've just been managing. They think, I can never be rid of a hunger like this, and they think you don't care about it, Jesus. I pray that you give them courage to open that up in front of you right now. Because you're the bread of life. You're the font of salvation. You're the source of And so, Jesus, I pray that you pour yourself in to these gaping holes, these vacuums, that we can know your love, the beauty, the purity, the cleanliness of your love, your spirit, filling up every crevice in our hearts so that we're released from hopelessness and we turn our sorrows in for joys. And we even, Lord... We even see your blessing overflow into the lives of others. Lord, be glorified today in such a way. For we pray it in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.